I gotta start off with this. Congratulations, Fluminense, on lifting the 2023 Copa Libertadores trophy. I was a doubter, bro. I was a doubter this season. I thought that perhaps the biggest teams in Brazil wouldn't show up in this tournament. And in that sense, I was right because Flamengo and Palmeiras got knocked out of this tournament despite dominating it for the past three, four years. But in comes another strong Brazilian team to go on and lift the trophy. And that's just, that's just not what I expected this year. I thought that one of these Argentine sides, River Plate, Boca Juniors, maybe a Paraguayan team would step up in their place. But no, Fluminense stepped up and they got a massive victory in their history. So congratulations from me to any Fluminense fans. I was wrong. I was wrong, man. And I think ultimately I just read the situation a little differently. As I mentioned, the big teams didn't perform, which I do think I got that part right. But I didn't anticipate such a strong showing from Fluminense from the quarterfinals forward, bro, because they face adversity with Internacional, and then they face adversity in this final going into extra time and then finding a way to win it. I do want to say some things just to defend myself because I heard your entire Copa Libertadores shoot, and I just heard a few things that I, I personally disagree with that we can talk about here on the podcast I because I think... My take was rooted in something that is still somewhat true and that we might see happen within the next year or two because for the first time since 2018, we saw both the Copa Libertadores final and the Copa Sudamericana final go into extra time involving Brazilian teams. And in the Sudamericana, we saw a Brazilian team actually get taken down by, uh, by Quito, an Ecuadorian side winning back-to-back -back trophies. Congratulations to them as well. And then in this game, we saw Boca, despite playing what ultimately was a pretty bad match, staying in it pushing it to extra time, and being 15, 20 minutes away from lifting the title if they had just scored one more goal. It got very, very, very close, and I think that deserves a little bit of credit or a little bit of understanding because that is what I was sort of kind of hinting at, was that Brazil would face more adversity overall as a league in these tournaments. And we saw it, Flamengo getting kicked out, Palmeiras getting kicked out. It's just that Brazilian depth that I couldn't overcome. And I do think, personally, I do think that if Boca had the freedom, if they had the privilege to have played this final at home the same way that Fluminense played this game at home in front of their friends in the Maracana, I think this result could have gone another way. And so because of those reasons, I think that there was some sort of merit in my take, but I do ultimately agree. I was wrong. I was probably a year early on this, and I'm probably going to stick by this the upcoming year because I do see something, some sort of shift happening in the Copa Libertadores, but just not this year, man, because Luminense faced adversity, they stayed strong, they had the class, they had the talent, and they got the victory to lift their first Copa Libertadores trophy. I think if Boca Juniors were even 10% better, they could have won this match. 100%. Even though Fluminense dominated for large portions of this game, it was only because Boca were so poor. Independiente del Valle of a couple years ago would have beaten Fluminense, for example. I really do think they would have. Fluminense played a great match, but in my analysis, I mentioned that I do think Fernando Genis got a little bit of the tactics wrong, and that's why Boca were allowed to make the game so tight. The only reason why Fluminense won is because of that depth you're talking about. You have two really good midfielders in Andre Martinelli, and then you have a true game changer in John Kennedy. That's why they won. Boca Juniors, the only players they have are the 11 that's out there. That's it. And if any of them have a bad day, they don't have anybody else to rely on. Fluminense and most other Brazilian teams have that depth of quality where if you have one midfielder having a bad day, more often than not, you can bring on a guy who's on the bench and he'll be just as good and provide a lot of quality. But that's why I do think a Brazilian 
team will always have an edge just in general in South America because of that quality depth. That's why I would just disagree with like a Brazilian team not winning the Copa Libertadores because I think it takes a really good South American team to beat a Brazilian team where it takes maybe just an above average Brazilian team to beat most South American teams. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the death part, I can't argue that. That's like the I, only I, thing. I, I That's why they that. won. Yeah, I, and I agree. If Boca was just slightly better because ultimately this wasn't that great of a Boca team. They were terrible. If they were just slightly better if any non-Brazilian team had more to offer, then they probably could have taken it to this Fluminense side. Yep. I do think Boca's game plan was that, though. I think they played best throughout the whole knockout stages, welcoming the opponent into their own territory and then kind of working off of the counter. We saw in that Palmeiras match when mm-hmm. they went away, they welcomed Palmeiras for the entire match and they were able to be clinical and actually get a goal through believe it or not, Cavani in the semifinal to take the lead and then gain control of that match. I feel like they kind of had the same type of approach here. I just think that that home factor, the depth factor, I think that the clinicality of Fluminense was just way better than what Palmeiras had to offer personally in that semifinal as well. And so Boca got caught. But regardless, they were still able to tie it up at one point and have their chances to win the trophy if they wanted and if they had the talent to do it. That's why I think it's close. I think it's close. Oh, but yeah. that edge that edge does exist, and I can't ignore it, bro. Brazil does have that edge ultimately, and it's going to be tough to see a team beat them in the biggest tournament, Copa Libertadores. Maybe in the smaller ones like Copa Sudamericana, we might continue seeing a little bit of an Ecuadorian dynasty. Yeah. But for now... Brazil will dominate this tournament. And I just, I'm excited for the day that that shift ultimately happens because we haven't seen it since 2018 when Boca and River face each other in the Clásico at the Bernabeu. Dude, I want a non-Brazilian team and a non-Argentine team Mm. not called Boca Juniors or River Plate. Like, if any of those other teams outside of that win the Copa Libertadores, that's going to be a crazy day because, dude, it's been so long, man. So long. Like you said, 2018 was Boca River. I I still want to see a team out. Like, I want to see Racing have a good (laughs) run. Like, they do so well in the Argentinian League, but then they always do shit in the Copa Libertadores. It's like, come on. Like, have some consistency in the domestic league and in the continental tournament. It's so frustrating. And then when you get good Ecuadorian teams that can be so, so feisty, they somehow just run out of juice by like the quarterfinal stage. And then they always just get caught by either Boca or some Brazilian team. If they could just somehow find a way to remain consistent, an Ecuadorian or a good Colombian team could easily make the final. It's just for some reason, the Brazilian teams are just a lot better at being consistent in these what is a very long tournament. And so with this result of Fluminense winning the Copa Libertadores, we officially have all four participants of the Copa Interamericana, which is the tournament that's taking place involving the League's Cup winner, Copa Libertadores winner, Copa Sudamericana winner, and the CONCACAF Champions League winner. The matchups are these. Inter Miami versus Fluminense, and then Leon, your very own Leon, facing off against Quito. Holy shit. Final four matchups. Semi-final, this was announced in January. So it's actually coming into fruition in 2024. No date confirmed ah, yet. Damn it. Okay, okay. But it will be happening. And we'll be able to see Messi face off against Fluminense and Leon face off against Quito, dude. Do we know if it's going to be in the States or is it going to be home and away? Do we know that? Because that'd be crazy either way. But still, like, dude, that's insane that... The venue hasn't been announced either. Okay. It hasn't okay, been announced. Okay. I'm reading that it hasn't been announced. Um, Man, that's going to be yeah, fun. It's going to be that's so gonna be fun, That's going to be a dude. weird clash of styles just it's so, all around. I, I know. It's, it's yeah. the closest we'll get to seeing Mexican teams, MLS teams 
in South America or yeah. he's facing off against South American teams in a competitive setting for an actual trophy. Been seeing a lot of talk about this on Twitter, though, because a lot of the casuals, specifically the Messi, Ronaldo folks, are, uh, at least the Ronaldo folks, are being very critical of this tournament because they're claiming that Messi's basically being handed yet another tournament <laughs> to be able to win a trophy. Sure, Is sure. there any merit in that claim? Because this tournament was announced in January of this year before he decided to join Inter Miami. But it is just an interesting thing, especially if you're a Ronaldo fan, a diehard CR7 fan, you're seeing the situation as like, wow, Messi with yet another chance to win silverware in a mini tournament. All I'm saying is just watch out for Fluminense because mm. I think no matter how good Inter Miami can be, Fluminense will at least match them. And I think it's going to be probably one of Inter Miami's just toughest games that they've had over the last couple of months. Fluminense are really good. Uh, and to, to beat them, you have to be very clinical on the offense, but you also have to watch out for their three, four-pronged attack because you have John Kennedy, you have Keno, you have John Arias, and then you have guys like Pablo Enrique Ganso who can also pull the strings, whereas Inter-Miami, you know, mainly have Messi pulling the strings. So, and we've seen that Inter-Miami can get leaky at the back, and that's the perfect recipe for a team like Fluminense. So I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't even get close to saying this is going to be handed to Inter-Miami. Well, What's a what's a president though to a pistoletto, bro? Because Luis Suarez apparently <laughs> will be part of this Inter Miami side, dude. <laughs> That's what's crazy, <laughs> uh, dude. I haven't seen Suarez play in like over a year. Yeah. I guess it's the World Cup, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I truly do wonder what is his for. Is it like Cavani's or <laughs> like what is it actually, <laughs> yeah, dude? I wonder. But if if Suarez is still you know banging in goals, maybe he's not as quick. I understand that. Then yeah, Inter Miami will definitely have a really good proponent in Suarez. But I I I wonder his form. I think he could be smoking cigs on the sideline and still bag a couple of goals in these type of games. Dude. He I could, he so. could, he could. I think so. He's still got that instinct in him until he'll be like 50 years old. But I, yeah, his fitness levels, his condition, probably just get a good 40 minutes out of Suarez, honestly, at this point. But I think, so. I think either Miami will take it, especially with the people they have up front outside of Messi. And yeah, I'm just interested yeah. to see how this tournament pans out. Quick predictions. Inter Miami Fluminense, who are you going with in this match? <sighs> it's basically a final right here. Uh, yeah, right now, and I'm talking right now, I would go Fluminense. It depends on when this is held. If this, is this in the summer? Is this sure. like a year from now? Yeah. Obviously, my points will change based off of everyone's form. But right now, I'm going Fluminense. Okay, I'm going Inter Miami. I think Messi in the knockout stage is just something I can't bet against right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Leon Quito, your very own Leon, man. I'm going Leon here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't too impressed from Quito's performances. They're a very good team. It's not that they're bad. It's just they don't have much going forward. What they're really good at, though, is being very disciplined. But I think Leon, no matter who they play, they always employ their style. And against a team like Quito, I think we can take advantage of them. All right. I would I'm, I'm going to be so happy to see this matchup, bro. Mexico against Ecuador in like an actual competitive cool. club matchup. Yeah. Leon against Fluminense or Leon against Inter Miami? You have Fluminense. Sounds to me like you got Fluminense winning this tournament. I have Fluminense winning this tournament. If it is Inter Miami, I think it'd be a lot closer. Maybe I even say Leon, but I think I would go Inter Miami. But in my scenario, I have Fluminense lifting this title. Fuck it. I'm going Messi wins another trophy. Yeah, and yet yeah. another just full feed of Ronaldo haters, Messi lovers going at it for 24 fucking hours, man. So exciting stuff here with this tournament being set. I just thought it was worth noting on the pod because it actually is pretty crazy that it's happening. Now, I was ultimately wrong about my Brazil take, but there was a match I was right about. And that was Las Palmas against Atletico Madrid. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know, dude. I was shocked. Once I, saw, once I saw the game, I was like, son of a bitch, man. Son, it's all I could think about for like the rest of the day. I was like, 
Shit. Yeah, man, but I knew. I, I knew this would happen. I, I try to tell you, but for some reason, you don't listen, bro. Dude, you don't listen. Dude, a lot of big teams lost points this week, that dude. weekend, bro. A lot. Madrid yeah. tying Rayo Vallecano, but especially in the Premier League, bro. What? Liverpool, Aston Villa, dude. Arsenal, all draw. And Tottenham. And Tottenham. And Tottenham. Yep. All yep. drop points. You know who didn't, though? Yep. Manchester City. Our Premier League prediction. And this is why they're going to win it, because in situations like this, it's City who get the points. No, dude. I know. And especially after Arsenal beat them. In the league, people were talking all this shit about Manchester City being past their prime oh and Arsenal God, being I remember the, the title winners, and we spoke about that, and now look what's happening, bro, and guess who's lurking in the shadows, dude? Guess who's lurking in the shadows? My boy Kevin De Bruyne, still waiting to come out. I think I saw he's scheduled to, to play in late December. Oh. A fresh De Bruyne to start off 2024. Ooh, oh, wow. I can't wait. Ooh. I can't wait. <laughs> But yeah, dude, I actually went to I went to a bar in New York called uh, Carragher's, which is a par a bar dedicated to Liverpool fans. It's Jamie Carragher. Jamie Carragher, bro. I don't know if he played a role in the creation of the bar, but bro, it was incredible, man. That's cool. The most decked out Liverpoolian bar I've ever seen personally here in the states. Oh shit! In the financial district in New York, awesome, awesome place. Went to go grab a beer. I was feeling happy. I was feeling great. Who do we have on the schedule? We got loot in town. Yeah. And I'm here amongst other people. I'm here with my tribe for once. And I'm just like, bro, this is going to be such a fun time. I'll grab my Guinness. I'll order some breakfast food because it's early over here when the games happen. I sit down. 20 minutes pass. 40 minutes pass. 60 minutes pass. Nil, nil. Donut, donut. What's going on here? Liverpool looking a little shaky. Looking a little little open on the counter. Mm. 70, 71st minute. My boy Chong, Chong, bro, scores to take the lead. Luton Town goes up 1-0, and the bar is silent. Mm. Silent, bro. Mm. You couldn't hear a cricket in that fucking place, dude. Silent. I'm looking around like, is this a fucking Liverpool bar, bro? Because I'm not not hearing shit. Not even some motivational sayings or nothing, bro. You're down against Luton, bro. You're down against Luton, dude. A a game that you cannot be losing. After knowing that these major teams like Arsenal were dropping points on the weekend, bro. Take advantage of that. But thankfully, Luis Diaz came to the rescue. A man who right now needs... All the support and love from the footballing community yeah. for what he's going through right now. For those that do not know, Luis Diaz's parents were kidnapped in Colombia. He was able to get his mother back, but his father is still yet to be known about his whereabouts or where he is or what's going on. So hopefully he can be back together with his parents. I can't believe the situation he's going through, bro. Yeah, it's crazy. one of the scariest things possible. So showing that man nothing but love. And it was it was poetic that he'll be the one that saves Liverpool because the fact that he's even in, you know, spirits high enough to even participate in this match was what surprised me a lot. After scoring the goal, he lifts up his shirt and his shirt says "Libertad para papá." Mm. Gave me chills, bro. Damn, that translates beautiful. to liberty, liberty for my father. I just, ah, oh man, I just can't believe what he's going through right now, and mm. he deserved that goal a hundred percent. Ties the match, and that's how the experience ends, man. One-one tie to Luton, but for me, it was just it was just crazy being in that atmosphere, being in that bar, being in New York, hoping for a really good time against probably one of the weakest teams in the Prem, and coming out with a fucking tie. Frustrating, but hey, Luton ha- still has only won one game. Yeah, they, they weren't <laughs> able to win it. They weren't able to they win weren't it. Able to win still it. only one win, bro. <laughs> only one win. 2023 AFC Champions League. Boy, do I have a crazy story for you, bro. And I've been sitting on this story for a month, dude. A month. So I've been begging, fuck, dying 
to just get it out and to tell you and to the listeners and to the viewers. What if I know it? That'd be cool if you did. Oh, okay. That'd be okay. cool if you did. Because okay. either way, I'm if scared. you know it, great. If I just people who don't know yeah. about it, I want them to know about okay. it. So this story is about a Japanese team who's in the AFC Champions League. Vontforay Kofu is their club name. But this story starts over a year ago in the 2022 Emperor's Cup. It's the domestic cup competition in Japan. So it's like five divisions all get entry into the tournament. You know, it's like the FA Cup, right? And it's just single elimination. You win, you move on, you lose, you're out. Vanfare Kofu start in, I think, what is called like the second round. And for them, at that point, they have to win six games in a row to win the whole thing. So five games and that sixth game being the final. Their first game, they easily put aside a fifth division team and they move on to the next round. Their next games for the rest of the competition is just against first division J1 league teams. So they get no respite after that, right? After that fifth division, uh, after that fifth division win. They go all the way to the final. The furthest they've ever been in any cup competition has been the quarterfinals. Mm. They get all the way to the final and they play Sanfrecce Hiroshima and they win on penalties. Oh my God. Five to four, their first major title in their club's history. And also giving them qualification to this year's AFC Champions League. Now, here's what's crazy. They're in the second division. Wow. They're a J2 league team. Wow. I was not aware of that. And they won the Emperor's Cup in Japan, beating mainly only J1 league teams, won the final against a J1 league team, and are now in this year's AFC Champions League as a second division team. Because here's what's crazy. The Emperor's Cup has been won by second, divi- second division teams before, but in all other cases, they've also been teams that got promoted to the J1 League right. that same year. Right. That year they won it, which was last year, bro, they finished 18th in J2. Oh, my God. 18th. Oh, so they're bordering. A, uh, they were bordering J3, division. bro. Oh, my God. Dude. Bordering it. And they just won today against Zhejiang, a Chinese Super League team, 4-1. to one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Japan, man. Japan, man. We've Holy been on Japan, shit, bro. Dude. We got to go to Kofu, dude. That's, <laughs> that's incredible, it's man. Insane. That's actually insane. It's ridiculous. And now, right now, in their group, they are joint top with seven points level with Melbourne City. Ridiculous. It's insane. Ridiculous because when I saw them, yeah, at the top of their standings, I just figured it was another Japanese yeah. team that made it in. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, okay, Japan's got, sure. they got good club teams, man. They always got They that. always do. They're just one of those. But they're a team that's in the fucking second division. That's ridiculous. That's, dude. that's unheard of. It, that's what I'm saying. That even happened in the African Champions League, man. This, this is, is rare. one of the craziest, most intriguing stories in all of world football, in my opinion. And which low key is why I always try to allocate time to watch global football because you come across shit like this, bro. Now, here's my question then. Are they, would you consider them contenders? Absolutely not. Damn. Absolutely not. I've seen them play two games and they're solid. They're actually way more solid than I would have thought they were going into knowing that they were a J2 team. Um, But then they'll have these moments in every game where they look really good. It's really strange. Uh, but my worry is managing 90 minutes against a very, very good side. 
I don't know if they'll be able to do it. But here's the thing, man. I mean, they went all the way in last year's cup competition. Who's to say they can't, like, maybe win a round of 16 mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. right? And to, to even, first off, only the first place team in each group gets automatic qualification to the next round. And then yeah. it's like a, yeah. only a certain amount of second place yeah. teams go through. So for them to even get to a knockout stage game would be nuts. But And then for them to win a round of 16 would be crazy no matter who they play it might work out bro because it might work out is them winning the AFC Champions League is that bigger than Leicester winning the Prem (laughs) it would have to be bro no dude is there anything comparable I think for them to even get to like a quarterfinal would be very I'm not gonna say it's on par to that but it's gotta be insanely close because like when you think about it 18th if there's 20 teams in J1 that means they're the 38th best team in Japan (laughs) the 38th best team and for them to even get to a knockout stage and I understand the eastern zone of Asia isn't as competitive as a western zone so it definitely can make it a little bit easier for them and they're taking advantage Mm -hmm, of that mm -hmm. I understand that but it's still they are a second division side should not have this much confidence they should not be able to go to China Play in a against a super league team and and actually get a result. Now they did win in Japan today four one. I, I forgot they went to China and lost. But still, the <laughs> fact they were able to go there, play a good game, come back home and beat them four one. That's ridiculous in my opinion. And as a second division side, you can't even like in the FA Cup. Like it's it's kind of rare that a second mm-hmm. division side even beats a, like a a first division side in any European league. So the fact that they're doing this on the continental level in AFC's premier tournament, I think is just completely unheard of, and it's one of the craziest stories that I've come across, man. And so to end this, I just want I just want to put this out there right now. I'm assigning all viewers and listeners homework. Mm-hmm. I'm assigning homework. Go watch and support Von Fure Kofu. It's the least we could do as a society, as a country here in the USA. Promote the small teams because that's what I, that's what I'm all about. That's what we're all about, bro. As the give and go, big teams, small teams, everything in between. And you can't get smaller than a J2 league team in the AFC Champions League. Yeah, man. So I've been I've been dipping my toes around Asia lately, just exploring the region, really taking in the culture and what this tournament has to offer personally. And while my, throughout my journey and throughout my ventures, there's just one question that continues to follow me and I cannot avoid it. I cannot run away from it. It's the most important question in this tournament for me personally. And that question is, what team outside of Saudi Arabia will truly challenge for the trophy? And will truly challenge these Saudi Arabian teams. That's what I'm looking for, man. Because we mentioned in the pre-tournament preview that we see a Saudi Arabian team lifting the trophy. At the time, you picked Al Nasser. I picked Al Halal when they had a healthy Neymar. Now it's possibly going to change. But I still think Saudi Arabia will lift the trophy. One of these clubs will. And so I'm looking elsewhere to see, is a team like Urawa going to be able to d- defend their trophy? Will a team from South Korea, from Japan, from Uzbekistan, is there any other team that stands out to me? And right now, I have three contenders. Okay. I have three contenders, and I want to hear your thoughts on them, and yeah. if there's any teams that you think potentially deserve to be in the conversation. For me, the first contender is Kawasaki Frontel, who's dominating their group with 12 points, four wins out of four games from Japan, the best team in Japan right now, I believe, in this tournament. And then you have South Korean side Pohang Steelers, who have 12 points as well, four wins and four games too. And then the last team that also has 12 points off of four wins and four games is Al Ain from UAE. Those are my three contenders so far that I have as some sort of threat to these Saudi Arabian sides. 
are you seeing the same thing, bro? Am I missing a team? Yeah. Or should I even remove some of these teams and just look straight at Saudi Arabia right now? <laughs> yeah, to be clear, I still stand by the fact that I think a Saudi Arabian team is going to win it, as you already pointed out. Out of those three teams, honestly, I w- yeah, those are really, really good teams. I would single out Alayin as the next best team uh, outside of a Saudi Arabian side. I think Kawasaki and Pohang Steelers are very, very good, and they are playing really good football right now. I think Alayin is playing the next best football outside of Al Nasser and Al Halal, if you will. And so that I'm really looking at Alayin's journey right now because they're the only other team that I truly think could actually go to the final over a Saudi Arabian side and lift this trophy. Um, now, obviously, every year, no matter how good the Saudi Arabian teams are, a Korean or a Japanese team always rises to the occasion. So I don't want to fully count them out, and I'm not going to. Um, trust me, I'm not going to. But for me, Alain is the next best contender, and I think it's kind of clear for me. Yeah, they have one of the leading goal scorers in the tournament, uh, Kojo Fodo Laba, I think is how you say his name. So right? fun to say. Five goals in this tournament already off of four games. That's ridiculous, dude. Yeah. He's on fire right now. One of the top scorers in the league. And yeah, I just keep looking at their numbers. I've been waiting for them to flame out, but they keep winning their matches. And they've stood out to me because I'm like, God damn, dude. Like, they weren't very active in the transfer market the same way that Saudi Arabian teams were. Yet they're able to get these incredible results and yeah. accumulate points. That deserves credit. That deserves some attention. And hopefully they're able to make something of it. And I think they will, bro. I think they will. I could see them getting to that quarterfinal stage or even the semifinal. And if they can work their way up into that final where they face off against Saudi Arabian team and represent their region the best, I'd be so happy to see it, bro. I really, really would. Yeah, and they're, they're getting practice right now because they just beat al Feja, a team from Saudi Arabia, over two fixtures. Yeah, so they're already getting used to beating Saudi Arabian teams. Feja's like that. They're like that fucking <laughs> younger brother in the family that yeah. doesn't live up to shit, bro. Because you're like, bro, like the rest of y'all are successful, yeah. but the one Saudi Arabian team that has done terribly is al Feja, bro. And they're yeah. just not showing up at all. And just to put sprinkle this in there as well, I don't think they'll be true contenders, but I think they can be upset contenders as far as maybe they knock out one big team in like the quarterfinals or something like that. And I'm going to put that responsibility on Uzbekistani teams. Dude, I noticed that. Specifically, Nasaf and Navbahor yeah. have been playing really good football. Like, really good football. I've watched, I think, every single Navbahor game because I watched their first match and immediately I was like, oh shit, like... These guys, are, these guys are pretty good. And then I watched Nasaf and same thing. I was like, wow, like truly impressed just by the way that they play and they're getting the results. I don't think they'll be true title contenders, but I do think they can beat some pretty big teams. Yeah, Uzbekistan is interesting because my introduction to them was off of the friendly Uzbekistan <laughs> had against Mexico in the USA just yeah. a few months ago. Yeah. And we were like, bro, they actually had pretty good results. What are they on about? Mm. And now in this tournament, yeah, they're one of the top three, yeah, I would say top three countries so far performing in the AFC Champions League Absolutely. because they have two really strong teams. When I call them contenders, I don't know if mm. I'm there yet, but they're a really good, solid side. There's always room for surprises here in this region, so we'll see how they do. One of the biggest surprises to me is Urawa Red Diamonds and how they've been performing lately, bro. Yeah. The defending champions of this tournament, four points after four games. If the season ended right now, they wouldn't qualify, man, because they'd be in the bottom of those second-place teams. 
Pretty, cre- pretty crazy state they're in right now coming off of what they were able to do just 12 months ago. Now they're in a really hot zone right now. And I'm curious to see if they're able to get past Wuhan Three Towns or Hanoi FC to get back into second place in this group or at least accumulate more points so they can make it out. But Urawa right now is in a little bit of a, of a red zone, dude. Yeah, it's pretty weird because they have pr- largely the same team that won it. I guess they just run out of that magic. I guess they just ran out of that juice because... Their football's mediocre, but they, they, they have moments of, you know, good connection, good one-two touch, but yeah, it's not really culminating into any sort of like success or results, but, but that's the point of like, there's always room for a Japanese or a Korean team to just rise up, even if they're having like a weird season in their own league, because it always happens. Like, Urawa didn't have that good of a season last Mm-mm. year either, Mm-mm. and all of a sudden, they found themselves in a final and also won it. So that's why I'll never count out any Japanese or Korean side just because they do have a lot of quality always. We keep talking about, you know, contenders and people or, or teams that are vying for the title. Who's the worst team in this tournament so far? Oof. <laughs> that, that's a good question. Bro, I got some nominees for you right here, dude. I would say... Mm, I don't know. I mean, the Hong Kong team just can't get any love. Uh, what? There's a Filipino team, Kaya. Uh, I don't... Have yeah, they gotten Kai a FC, point? They haven't gotten a point. They haven't gotten a point, they, yeah. They scored two goals and they've con- conceded 12. Yeah. Uh, Mumbai City. Mumbai, yeah, yeah they they haven't scored. They've scored zero, conceded thirteen. Fuck, yeah, yeah. four and losses. I, it there. happens, man. It I happens. mean, you get pit against like these massive, massive teams. You do well domestically, and what's crazy is that sometimes they don't even play that badly. But are they gonna win any games? Probably it's that not. Football heritage, not, bro. Dude. It even exists in Asia, dude. <laughs> this thing is universal, man. The same rules apply, bro. It's heritage over yeah, here. Man. If you don't have it, like Urawa does, then they could work against you, man. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing from these lesser teams. So far, so good, man. Asia is treating us real well, and with okay. the AFC Asian Cup coming up in January, it's just gonna keep ramping up, dude. Ramping up, and I'm already getting excited at the prospect of like the round of 16 or quarterfinals or these knockout stage matches because I'm excited to see the top teams go out now because that's when i think it'll get really tight lately i've just been seeing a lot of blowouts i've been seeing a lot of you know a a big gap between certain teams i want to see that gap close and i want to get some truly competitive matches and especially i'm looking at the saudi arabian teams and i want to see how they perform with some real pressure but that focus losing their lead dude what is it they're losing their lead when we checked on them early on it was said dude they had like a 13 point lead at the top in terms of points they are now even with Palmeiras at 59 points. Granted, Botafogo has two games on them, but Red Bull Bragantino has 58 with only one game in hand, one point behind. Gremio is now in the title race as well. Atletico MG has a shot if they get on fire. There's now six title contenders in Brazil after Botafogo had what looked like an assured lead to win the title, dude. I'm pissed. They're going to be fine. <laughs> They're going to be fine. I don't know, man. I don't know. Luckily, Palmeiras just lost 3-0 to Flamengo, so that helps. But Botafogo's out here losing to Vasco da Gama. Right. They're losing to Cuiaba. Cuiaba, and then they lo- just lost an insane game against Palmeiras at home. Yeah. They're going to be fine. I just want to put that out there for all Botafogo fans that are maybe having a little bit of a heart attack. They're going to be just fine. It's terrifying, bro, because like I said, this is their first chance to win a title in 25 years God, in Brazil. That's a long time. Like, there's a lot more at stake here for Botafogo than, like, say, a Palmeiras, Absolutely. right? And so, with that stake in hand or with that pressure, how does the team perform? Well, lately, it hasn't been good, bro. It hasn't been good. And it scares me because 
We're talking about Brazilian excellence. I want to see that continue. Yeah. And I want to see Botafogo lift that title. So I'm just checking in on it. That's all, yeah, man. Yeah. But I'm expressing my, my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because there's a month left. So it's like three, four games and the title is decided. This, is gonna, this might be one of the crazier ends to a Brazilian league in a long time, yeah. bro. Yeah. So uh, Loki, we might start watching Botafogo games have live, dude. Yeah, we might yeah, have, we have to, have to catch it live. That dude. close. Yeah. Shit, man, Flamingo comes out on top again I or some hate shit. That so much. Even they're not going to. They're not going to, bro. <laughs> Botafogo's winning. Champions League, baby. I'm actually going to headline with a game that happened today. Okay, yeah. Right? FC Copenhagen hosted Manchester United today. One of the more important matches we saw because of the, the place they were in their group with the points. If Copenhagen gets a win. They're back into contention of potentially getting out. And Manchester United, they get a win here and they seem to be in control of their destiny, perhaps. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this match, bro. Copenhagen won 4-3. And the, <laughs> and the name of the goal scorer of the fourth game-winning goal was Rooney. <laughs> what? Yeah, they man. have a Rooney? They have a Rooney, but there's no E in it. It's just uh, a Y. Beautiful skip volley finish to make to get it past Andre Onana. Ecstasy in Copenhagen. Ridiculous match to saw Marcus Rashford get a red card. Lately, England's been getting a little petty or picky with their red cards. I think they're on a bit of a buzz right now, but Marcus Rashford gets a red card. Man United down to 10 men. They still take the lead through a Bruno Fernandes penalty to make it 3-2. Got a natural silence as the crowd as they're celebrating. And 20 minutes later, he's on the ground down near fucking crying, <laughs> dude. Insane match. Another magical European night. But I just want to report to you, bro. Crazy result with Copenhagen winning. Did Rashford, was the red card just, I didn't see this game, yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah, folks, yeah. but uh, did, was the red card justified? Oh, man, was it no. straight? I would say no. It was straight. It was straight like 20, 30 minutes into the match oh, off of a play shit. that I just, I, I really, it gets, it gets weird with the whole, with the whole follow through. With the whole follow through that, like, you, know, you know how Europe is when it comes to a follow through. Yeah. They really, they really prioritize that. They don't care about the intention. They don't care about the context of the play. If you follow through and you hit a player in a really sensitive area, it's usually a red card. Damn. And it happened to Rashford in this match. So out he goes, and Copenhagen just absolutely took advantage of it. Historic win for them. Wow. Well, what is it for United? They've already lost like nine games this season or something. It's something ridiculous. Yeah, I saw that's Ten Hag's ninth loss in the last 15 or 17 games. Good Lord. That's, that's Should a they lot consider of firing him or is he good for now? I just wouldn't fire him because, I mean, who, 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 who are you going to get? Like. Fucking like fire fire nurse coach, you could, but you gotta wait. You gotta wait a while. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, you yeah. would just get an interim manager, and what's he gonna do for you? Absolutely nothing. Because for me, I think the problem is just the player personnel that they have. Like they're mm -hmm. weak in certain areas, and then players are out of form. Some players are injured. Ten Hag might be losing a bit of the dressing room, so maybe that'd be the only positive. That'd be the only positive. But I think the negatives outweigh that. So I would, I would actually say you got you just keep him. Yeah, I would actually defend Ten Hag in this match after watching it. I wouldn't put what happened on him. Yeah. I, at least in this match specifically. There's been other games where I'm a little hesitant to say that. 
Ten Hag is the guy. But in this match specifically, I thought the team really lacked and made some poor decisions throughout the match and allowed themselves to get exposed and ultimately lose. Just really bad performances overall. But yeah, Copenhagen gets the win. And now this group is really, really close with Bayern Munich beating Galatasaray. Bayern Munich has 12 points. Copenhagen has four. Galatasaray has four. And Man United has three. So it's really wow. tight. Wide open for second. Wide open for second now. Damn. So I, I'm really excited to see how this one goes because I'm personally a Galatasaray fan right now. Hell yeah. And I think there's a chance here for them to continue their journey in the Champions League. Atletico Madrid scored six. That's probably one of the worst teams in the Champions League this season. Celtic. Second time this season, Atletico scores six plus goals, I believe. Bro. We have one of the best offenses in Europe, dude. And that's the question I have is one of the main components of that offense is both Morata but also Griezmann. Yeah. Is Griezmann a top five player in the world right now? Oh, dude. Well, I, <laughs> man. He's like the most influential attacking midfielder of this whole generation, in my opinion. I, I would say him and Kevin De Bruyne have dominated the attacking midfield mm. for 10 years. Mm. Uh, Griezmann does it in his own greasy way, though. That's the difference. New haircut. Uh, <laughs> every time. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's just so clinical off the pass. But not only that, he's so deadly in the box. He's so deadly in and around the box. And then he can pick the ball up deep and spread a nice little distributive pass. It's absolutely ridiculous what Griezmann can do. There, there really isn't anything he can't do. And he's so effective on the ball. One of the greatest players to have played the game, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Antoine Griezmann. And what's, what's crazy is that last year, when he obviously came back to Atletico on loan, it was his best year statistically. The numbers, I look back. The numbers dude. were crazy. Jesus Christ, he's like a starting center in the NBA. 15 he, points and 16 assists. Yeah. Uh, 15 goals and 16 assists. Dude, it's ridiculous. And... Total goals plus assists is the highest he had ever accrued for Atletico. Oh, wow. It was the highest in his career. Even that golden Atletico team between 2015 and 2016, when Griezmann was a part of that and he was scoring goals left and right, wow. he did better last year. Wow. Goal and assist wise. So he himself has just, he's mastered this game essentially. And so now this is just Griezmann's world and we're all living in it, bro. Yeah, I just, just can't do it on a cold night in Las Palmas. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, bro. You're uh, right. No, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, dude. If we just had like one, just one other player alongside Morata and Griezmann, yeah. I would consider us contenders in both, like true, mm -hmm. like, oh, we're winning this shit in both La Liga and Champions League. Who'd we're that, missing who, one who player. Who would be that player though? I think like, we need example. like, we, we need like a true out and out winger, right? Thomas Lamar was supposed to kind of yeah. be that. That just hasn't turned out that way. Angel Correa was also supposed to be that for the longest time. We left that position open for Correa to take it. Unfortunately, he just didn't really turn out to be that way. And now we're, we're filling it in with wingbacks, essentially, yeah. right? With Lino, Llorente, for example. Uh, so, yeah, we, f we found a way to still make Griezmann very effective. But, man, if we just had, like, for maybe, like, a prime Carrasco or, like, just in general, just an out-and-out -out winger who's so deadly, we'd be a complete team. What if I could give you, like, a, like a Jeremy Doku? Yeah, there you I go, bro. Oh, oh my god, that's it. That'd be ridiculous. That's all we're missing, right now, bro. Morata's actually playing really well too. No, he is. I was looking at his numbers, and I've been watching Atletico games, of course, too. And we've been hinting at it, like, will Morata keep this up? And he actually has been keeping it up so far. Honestly, might be on trajectory for one of his best seasons ever if Low he continues. Yeah. They need that. You need that one other player, bro. But I think the question of is Griezmann a top five player comes because 
I think Bellingham is a top five player right now in terms of form. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jeremy Doku, off of form right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know who else fills it out, but I do think Griezmann gets into that conversation. Gets in I think there. he absolutely gets into that conversation. And it's just beautiful to see right now because he is a maestro, maestro on that pitch and he is torching, just absolutely dissecting these defenses in and out like he's on a goddamn mission. And I want to see him have health the rest of the season and I want to see him continue thriving because... Ah, man, something could happen for Atletico. Something could happen, at least in terms of exciting matchups, inciting goals, exciting offense, if he continues this up. You know, man, I would say it's not often that a group of dead delivers in terms of, like, competitiveness, man. Usually we see one team end up being a bit of a weaker link. But this year with the Champions League, Dude, the point totals go like this. Seven, six, five, four. Wow. It's so close. Any of these teams could end up on top. Any of these teams could end up at the bottom. Right now, it's pretty crazy with Dortmund in first, PSG in second, Milan in third, and Newcastle in fourth. You caught the Newcastle-Dortmund game. What was your takeaway with Dortmund getting a victory at home after enduring a brutal beating against Bayern at the weekend while Newcastle went on to beat Arsenal at home this past weekend? The first thing that kind of gave me an idea of what this game was going to end up like was looking at Newcastle's starting 11, bro. We had left back Lewis Hall, who I don't know if he's really started for Newcastle, honestly. Really big job here. A lot of responsibility. And then alongside Callum Wilson, it was Tino Livramento, who's usually a fullback. And then it was Joe Willock in rotation with Joe Ellington. You know, so no Gordon, no Harvey Barnes, I think he was there, and then no Miguel Almiron. Yeah, no All of their, yeah, yeah, no Isak either. So all all of their true forwards not starting other than Callum Wilson. So I thought it was a really conservative lineup. Both Almiron and Gordon would later feature in the second half, but, you know, by then it was already honestly kind of too late. And that's what we saw in the first half, bro, was – a lifeless, non-threatening Newcastle offense, bro. It was, I was honestly pretty pissed because I was, too. I was hoping that Newcastle would try and take this moment to be like, all right, we have three games left in the Champions League going into this match. We know Dortmund, they unfortunately beat us in the reverse fixture. So let's undo that. Let's get three points on the road. We know we can take them. And instead, dude, I get a really pathetic first half performance from Newcastle. And again, it shouldn't surprise you though because you have Dino Livramento and Joe Willock as your wingers. It's not going to work, man. It's not going to work. And there, there was nothing going forward. They couldn't get more than two or three passes in Dortmund's defensive third. And then whereas on the opposite side, Dortmund constantly probing with Sabitzer, just constantly looking for through yeah, balls. Game. And then Adeyemi, not that they, not that he had an amazing game, but he was just constantly running at Newcastle's defense, constantly making issues and problems. And obviously it ended up leading to a couple of goals for Dortmund. So I'm just not surprised by the result, given what yeah. happened on the day, because Newcastle just straight up sucked. Yeah, that's my frustration with them is that Especially coming off of beating such a strong team in Arsenal. To then follow that up with a team which I consider much lesser in quality in Dortmund. And losing back-to-back times against the same damn team. That frustrates me, man. That frustrates frustrates me because I had Dortmund finishing last in this group. And I, I haven't truly seen the potential for Dortmund this season. Despite them getting a little bit more of a role recently. 
And yet the, here they are topping the group after two solid wins against Newcastle. But I do think it says more about Newcastle than it does about Dortmund because Newcastle, just with the lineups, with the players they've been using, their tactics, they've been disappointing in Europe. Yeah. They've been disappointing. And that that frustrates me and that gets me a little riled up because I really wish that a team that hasn't seen this tournament in over 20 years would come out with more of a fury, more of a direction, more intention in this tournament rather than being rotational and putting in guys that you know are questionable like a Livramento or like a Joe Willick or like a fucking Lewis Hall in dire crucial situations such as these. So I agree with you, man. I'm right there with you. Newcastle now in last place. Yeah, and... It- this game really showed me, I was like, oh, Newcastle's an inexperienced side. They don't know how to handle this. And I think it's everybody. Yeah, like beyond, Howe like himself, beyond the players. But yeah. Like the staff, I think. I think the yeah. staff, yeah. Like Eddie Howe's like, shit, like, all right, I'm going conservative in this game. I think that's what I have to yeah. do. That's what he thought he had to do. <laughs> and he was dead wrong, bro. He got it completely <laughs> wrong. And I, I think just the atmosphere of going to Germany. Has Newcastle ever gone to Germany, bro? I don't know. I think getting on that plane, landing in Dortmund was like, oh, shit. Okay, we, yeah, got, we got a game tonight. I don't even know what hotel to book yeah, or nothing, bro. They weren't ready, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, from all fronts, this Newcastle club has not been ready for Europe. But it's so frustrating because, as you said, they, they're such a good team when they're on it. But I guess that is kind of Newcastle this season, man, is that when they're good, they can beat literally anybody. But then the ne- very next week, they can be pretty bang average and just drop points. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, their bang average performances are always happening in Europe. <laughs> yeah, outside of the PSG game at home, they yeah. have been so disappointing. And PSG, speaking of them, losing to Milan, going away from home. Milan finally getting a result in Europe because they started off so poor as well after three games, only two points accumulated. Big win against PSG with uh, Skriniar, the ex-Inter Milan player, scoring uh, against AC Milan. Had to be. Had to be. Had to be getting a goal, but then Milan responding with Rafael Leao getting his first goal in 10 matches, I believe. He's been on a bit of a cold streak. And then the second goal coming from Olivier Giroud off of uh, Theo Hernandez's assist. Milan gets this big, big win, and so now the table goes 7-6-5-4. Dortmund, PSG, Milan, Newcastle. What's the projection now with two games to go in this group, bro? Who tops it? Who comes out in second? It's anybody's. Yeah, it really is anybody's. And actually, to kind of track back, but to answer your question too, is I have been impressed with Dortmund's overall game management, if you will. I don't think Dortmund are going to do anything crazy this tournament. I don't see them having a high ceiling. But I will say on the day when they play against either Newcastle, PSG, or Milan... They put in solid performances. And it's always enough to at least get a goal, make it competitive, and not get utterly killed. Even though, you know, when they go back to the Bundesliga, they're not having, you know, that good of a time. But what's interesting is that Dorman still play pretty good football because they do have absolute class with players like Julian Brandt, for example. Like, that, that's a type of player that can change games. He got a brilliant goal against Newcastle uh, this midweek. So, Dortmund, despite, like, their struggles maybe, or not even struggles, just, I, in my opinion, despite their maximum potential that they just don't have, they are honestly doing pretty well in this group. And because of that... I think they actually will get out of this group. And I think alongside them, I'm not sure in which order, but I would go Milan. I think oh, I'm going to go Milan. Over PSG? Yeah, I still have them over PSG. But I don't want to say I have them over PSG because PSG have Mbappe. Yeah. And I think having a player like that can get you places. So I think it's going to be a really big battle between those three teams to see who gets two of those spots. 
I just don't really see Newcastle getting through, though. That's one thing that is definitive for me. Yeah, that, yeah. that one's tough. They gotta, they, they, they would have to absolutely resurrect themselves in Europe to be able to do it. It's there if they it want is, it, man. It is there. That's it's the thing there, is that they, they could do it. Yeah, it's there, but they just haven't given me that confidence now. And yes, credit to Dortmund for what, for what they've been able to do. I mean, it sounds like you're, what you're describing is a team that is experienced in this tournament. Exactly. Yeah, like Dor- Dorman just... They're always they, here. They know what plane tickets to buy. They know what hotels <laughs> to get. They know what meals to have in preparation for these games. And I do think that that is why I'm also going to go PSG. I will say, though, I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about that because I'm not in love with this PSG team. For me, I still stand on my take about their midfield. I think it's so young, the players that they're fielding out in their midfield and that they're relying on for these big, big games. Mm-hmm. And it shows in the match like against AC Milan where they just get absolutely dominated or they just don't show up. They yeah. disappear. And yes, they have their moments of flair. They have their crazy highlight reels. Ugarte, Zaire Emery, great players, so young, wonder kids. But sometimes you need a little bit more than that. You need a little bit more pizzazz to be able to last in these big, big tournaments. I just think a guy like Mbappe truly is that impactful and we'll be able to get them out of this group. Lazio Feyenoord. Mm. The headline here is Chiro Immobile, bro. Chiro Immobile, what, 200th goal? 200th goal yeah. with Lazio. Star. Legend. Legend. Lazio legend at this point. Yeah. Immobile. <laughs> yeah. No, great for him. <laughs> Getting a result 1-0 against Feyenoord, a team that I found to be very fascinating in this tournament. So fascinating, Mm -hmm. dude. Because they, at times, look like the best Dutch team we've seen in the Champions League in a while. And then there's other matches like like these where they're just a little dry. And you're wishing for a little bit more out of a team that you know has the potential to just go at opposing sides and fucking almost like a, a dynamite of offense. But then there's matches like these where they just they, they get a little stark. They get a little cold. This game is like the extremes of football, man. Because when this game started, the Lazio crowd was buzzing, dude. Knowing that they realistically needed a win here at home to try and give them even a really good chance of getting out of this group. So there's a lot of pressure. But a, a welcomed pressure by this Lazio side because they know they have quality. They know they can beat a team like Feyenoord. They can beat, honestly, Atletico and Celtic in this group too. Lazio have a lot of faith within themselves and I think the crowd was there to basically tell the team, hey, we're good. Let's win this fucking game. <laughs> and so there's a, a an awesome energy in this stadium before the whistle blew. And I, I in that moment, I was actually going for Feyenoord, but once I saw the crowd, I was like, you know what? Let's go Lazio. Let's go Lazio. <laughs> Dude, by the 30th minute, I was booing Lazio, bro. <laughs> booing them. I was like, boo! Fuck this team. Because, dude, they had the worst 30 minutes, man. And even the commentators said it like, Firenord's offensive third play was twice as good as Lazio's. Twice. And I, I gave up on this. I gave up on Lazio. But then right before the halftime... Chiro Immobile with a nice little curving run, finds space on an exposed Feyenoord side, a nice little slip through ball, he goes all the way, gets a nice little goal, goes around the keeper, and it's 1-0 going into halftime, I'm like, what the hell just happened? The the fucking, the right back for Feyenoord waffled it, bro. Everyone else played a high line, and he stayed back for some reason, despite not really having a player around him. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. Plays on Chiro Immobile. 
and yes, ecstasy for Lazio. And then they lost the ball in transition when they just shouldn't have lost it. Yeah, the, the midfielder tried to take on the Lazio player one-on-one when he could have just played an open ball to five wide-open Feyenoord players. He tried to just, for some reason, take him on, lose it in the middle of the pitch, and then chaos ensues. It's the one mistake Feyenoord made in that entire half, and they ended up paying dearly for it. But th- this is the crazy extremes of football. It wasn't deserved whatsoever, but that's the game. That's the game. And then... Fuck this game. (laughs) I say it every time, man. I say it every day. Um, But it's just that old cliche of goals change games. Because, Mm. dude, in that second half, I saw the most confident Lazio that I've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. They were completely settled by the fact that they were up 1-0. And on the other end, Feyenoord were completely dejected. Yeah. By going down 1-0. And at that point, honestly, going to the second half, they look like they just want to go home. They're like, mm-hmm. all right, it's not our night. Let's get out of here. We don't even care if we win. And what's crazy, though, is that Ueda almost equalized on the last play of the game that where he nice. got a wide-open header, but unfortunately put it right at Provadel. Now, the, the, I think the gods are, are Lazio fans. I, uh, like, truly, <laughs> They really were. Reason, they really bro, were, dude. of a result like like what happened today be, in between these two teams. But then you, you know, they have seven points, two wins, one draw, one loss. Three of those points come after a victory like today where it isn't truly that convincing. Another one of those points come, comes after a fucking miracle of a goal that yeah. the goalkeeper scored against Atletico and then obviously they beat Celtic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see their journey so far in this tournament, but getting a result against Feyenoord is huge now because they have second place with seven points. Atletico is in first with eight. Feyenoord is in third with six. And then Celtic is going to be last in this group. It's, it's still scary though because like <laughs> it's eight seven six like oh yes yeah, I thought like, you were gonna say something about Celtic no. dude. I was like what? there's no way you no, see no, something no, 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 in no, no, Celtic no. sorry sorry honestly a question I was gonna ask should Scottish teams be in this tournament bro <sighs> yeah let's be honest. Well, they, yeah, they're like the Philippines of <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> you know, like they're good in their domestic league and they just get to a bigger stage. Yeah, man. That's it's just but tough. God, and, and the dude. thing is, and, so, and sometimes though, they can play good football. Sometimes. They, they can. Sometimes. I mean, yeah. what? They got? They actually got a result against that. Let they go in Scotland. Didn't they beat Barca one time or like yeah. tied them? Yeah, like, like out of six games, they're not getting out of a group, but... Once out of those six games, they're gonna get something, God. you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. It means something for sure, for sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. I'm getting t- kind of tired of the same things. These Celtic Rangers that are getting fucking waffled out here. <laughs> Atletico Madrid, they got to be set to finish them first in this group, Un- unless Feyenoord play the way that they played us. Because oh, we go got away. really lucky against that in that game. Honestly, Feyenoord deserved more than a loss, and then well, lots have proved to be stubborn, right? <laughs> and so. I'm not. I'm not convinced. Wow. Okay. I'm. I'm, a, I'm. I'm not gonna say I'm worried. I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, you here. still got Lazio, who has to come into the Wanda Metropolitana. Sure. That'll that'll be nice and that'll be fun. But yes, that away game that against Feyenoord. Yeah. That's the one. And, I'm it'll, and about. it'll also depend. Like, what do Lazio and Feyenoord need out of us? Mm. They're gonna need a lot. <laughs> so like, we get we gotta defend ourselves. You know, it's gonna get scary. Yeah, they might try to slap you around <laughs> and get some change. <laughs> They're out gonna of you. try. They're gonna be try, but we that. gotta stand strong. And yeah, I think c- we will. I'm just gonna be a little nervous about. Hey, it. maybe I see you in the Europa League, bro. <laughs> maybe I see you there, man. Come join me, bro. It's too I'd easy rather right finish now. last, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Give Celtic the Europa League, man. It's I want Champions League knockout or nothing. It's so easy right now for Liverpool, man. I'm interested to see who ends up going to Europa League, actually. So that is also like a bit of a narrative I've been keeping. That'll an eye be on fun. Yeah, League. that'll we be fun. Have some interesting teams. The last game I wanted to highlight was the match between Real Sociedad and Benfica today. 
going into it, Rasso says that was seven points. Benfica was zero. Aye. Terrible, terrible yep. showing from Benfica so far in this tournament. After what was supposed to be a magical run last year, flaming out, running out of gas, empty tank, and that empty tank continues this year. While Rasso Sedat seems to be a team that is on the come up, on the rise with they, results they've been getting in the Champions League and also in La Liga. Players like Kubo, Mikel Merino looking really good. Oya Salval always so so classy, yeah. so good. And Rasso Sedat continue that momentum, bro. Okay. Continue that momentum. Going up 3-0 before the 25th minute Jeez. and having a chance to go up 4-0, but they missed a penalty in the first half. 3-0, the game ends 3-1. So Sociedad dominated this match, dude. Good Lord. Dominated this match. I was watching the game um, on Univision with Spanish commentators, and they were just going off about the fact that Sociedad is one of those true teams out there where every single guy has to touch the ball before you score. Everyone has a role. Everyone is involved. It's mm-hmm. something truly beautiful, bro, because when you look at the players that they have, not much change in the offseason, honestly, for them. They got rid of the Norwegian Sorloth, who was a big offensive component for them last year. Got rid of him, and for some reason, that opened up the offense completely. And what's so dope about Sociedad, similar, similar to what we've highlighted in the past with Athletic Bilbao, is that they're a team that I think is comprised of mainly youth academy graduates. I think I think I saw that six out of 11 other players in the starting lineup played in Raso Sedat's academy, went through the system, and now they're starting for their team in the Champions League match, and they're playing really good football. My question is this. We've seen it so many years, bro. So many years in the past where Sociedad has these really good feisty teams. You know, third, fourth, fifth, even sixth place in La Liga. And they make showings in Champions League as well. Is there something different to this year's Sociedad team that wasn't there in the past? Are we seeing a new, revitalized, truly threatening version of Sociedad in 2023? Who else is in their group? This year we have Benfica. We have Salzburg in third with three points and Inter in second place with 10 points. So see that Inter are already through. What was the result when they played Inter? (laughs) 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 I need more data. I'm doing everything I can. (laughs) When they played Inter, it was at home. They haven't played them away. It was at home. So see that at home. They tied 1-1. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Would you like to know the times that they scored? (laughs) I think it matters. Brais Mendes scored... Four minutes into the match, Damn. they led the entire game. 87th minute, Lautaro Martinez ties it. I think that matters. Oh, that does matter. That does matter. <laughs> Guys? <laughs> huh. I guess the only real difference that I've noticed from Sociedad, because they play pretty much the same way that they played last year. It's As you said, it's everybody touches the ball. It's just tiki-taka, one-two touch football. I guess the only difference is that both Kubo and Oyarzaba are a little bit more direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little, yeah, they're just they go towards goal now, and I guess that's the difference because just from a footballing point of view, I don't see much difference, which is why I'm not convinced yet from Sociedad because Sociedad always play good football, right? Yeah, and I expect them to beat a weak Benfica side and a Salzburg side. Like the way that Sociedad play, I I don't see them losing against those teams. And the thing is, I would have said for them to lose against Inter Milan, but for them to actually get a decent result against them at home and they led pretty much the entire match, that is a little bit different. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to fully commit. Sociedad definitely are playing better. I think they're a little bit more direct than they usually are. 
But I'm, I'm just not fully convinced personally, and that's no offense to Zizi. Okay. All right. But what about you? What, what, what do you well, think? Well, me personally, bro, I, I think this is this is a different breed of Sociedad that we're seeing. I think something opened up offensively with getting rid of Sorloth. Mm. I don't know how because last year, Oya Salval only scored four goals in all, in throughout all La Liga. This year, he's already at six yeah. through 12 games. Gubo is rising. His stock is completely rising. A yes. young player. And I think that's kind of what's going on is that Yes, they do have pretty much the same team. I just think all of them have improved. And that's another thing, though, is that Oyar Salbal had a really bad injury, and he's come back from it. But I would say this season, he's actually back. Yeah. Like, he's really back. And I think he's already shown with, that, with those six goals, as you pointed out. So, yeah, it, it is that. I think the players that they've relied on in the past have actually just improved. Yeah, I, I think that's what's going on. So, it's like... I don't know. It's like on FIFA when you have a team and then you just sim it a whole year and the guys just improve. Their <laughs> yeah. stock goes up. I think that's what we're seeing because even Kubo, for example, nine goals, four assists last year in 35 games. Really good numbers. In 11 matches, he already has five goals, two assists. On track to finish with probably like 15 goals if yeah. he continues. That's hella good. He's yeah. also you know going up that trajectory. He's also rising as well. I, I think there's something special to this team. And then you got Mikel Merino in the midfield, who I think has been so good, yeah. getting called up by the national team too in Spain. It's looking good so far. But yeah, I, I do, I do think they've gotten better. I just, I think there's a little bit of hesitancy for me because of like games like against Barca this past weekend, where they ended up losing one nil despite dominating most of the match. Barca still has that heritage above them. That's they still have saying. that edge. Yeah. And I just, I, I think in La Liga, we will see a bit of the same Sociedad. In Champions League, though, is where I'm, I'm really interested. They're like the opposite of Newcastle. When it comes to Europe, they really key in, they really focus, and they play really well. When it comes to the league, they kind of just do the same thing they always do. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do this year. I don't know if I'm buying them fully into the stock, but if they continue, then I'll definitely keep an eye open for them because if they make it to that quarterfinal, I think they could be the type of team to just pull off a crazy upset and pull off like a Milan, AC Milan or Inter Milan like they did last year, getting all the way to the semifinals, despite not really being favorites to go that deep. Yeah, my, my only point of contention why I'm not just fully committing is because their form in La Liga's while it is good, it's going to end up being the same thing. They're going to be behind Atleti, Real, and Barca. So really technically no progress there. And then when I look in Europe, they have four easy matches, right? Benfica twice, Salzburg twice. That's the majority of the group. They're going to get out of the group. So it's like if, if you swapped Atletico and Sociedad, I wonder if Sociedad would be having as good of a European season mm. if they had to play Feyenoord and Lazio, for example. Mm. That'd be very different. They'd have four hard matches and then only two easy ones against Celtic. So I just, yeah, I just think right now things are looking good for them in that regard. Not to say they're, not, they're playing bad football because they're not. I just don't know if, like, you know, they're really going to be contenders of any sort. Last question to finish off the episode Worst team in Champions League? Nominees? Royal Antwerp with zero points? Young yeah, boys? Antwerp. You don't, want to hear, me, you don't want to hear more nominees? <laughs> We're young boys with one point. Celtic with one point. Benfica with zero. What about um, Union Berlin with one? Juventus Svezda, Red Star Belgrade. How they actually them? have one point as well. One point as yeah, well. above young boys off a of goal difference. Ah. Yeah. Two teams with zero, though, and one of them is Benfica. That's pretty crazy. Jesus. I would say it's probably Royal Antwerp. Uh, goal differential of minus 11 after four matches. Yeah. 14 goals conceded, three goals scored. And that's against teams such as Porto, Shakhtar, Donetsk, 
And then Barca, of course. Mm. Who, by the way, lost to Shakhtar. I saw, you saw that, that man, shit. I saw that. It's what, we've been, it's what we've been saying about them, though. No one should be convinced by this Barca team. And I don't mean that to hurt anybody. This Barca team is not good enough to win something as big as the champions. Yeah, not, not to be contenders. Not they're not be, contenders. They're not contenders. They'll get out of their group. They're but. a feisty team, and that's it. Yeah. And that's it for today's episode. <laughs> we will see you guys next time. Make sure to rate us five stars on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. And we will catch you guys soon. Peace. Peace. Thank you.